People don't know what it is to be champions. Oklahoma invented it. This is the Under the Visor podcast from the OU Insider Studios. Here's your host, Brandon Drum. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. This is the football season version of it for the first time. We are going to be doing and talking actual football. We got to witness it today as Parker and I were out there covering the first 20 or 30 minutes of the practice. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune, Colin Kennedy. We're going to have a loaded podcast for you guys today. We're going to talk about the first couple of media sessions that we've had, post practices with the players and the coaches at Oklahoma. Uh, We're going to talk about Lincoln Riley's comments on the SEC. We're going to talk about the defense, glowing comments from Alex Grinch and some glowing comments from Bill Biedenboe, the Sooners offensive line coach. And also some glowing comments from Sooners defensive line coach Calvin Thibodeau where, hey, you know the expectations are high when the coaches are happy when they walk into (laughs) the presser all the time because things are going good right now. It's obviously only been four days of practices, but we're going to talk about that. We're also going to touch on and we're going to get kind of the realist version of this where we're going to touch on two things that Oklahoma has to do. All, all three of us are going to talk about two things Oklahoma has to do to play for a national title. And then we're going to talk about two things that Oklahoma can't have happen for them to come short of playing for a national title. Then we're going to dive into some SEC talk and close it out with some recruiting talk. So this is going to be a loaded, loaded podcast for you guys Make sure you guys stay listening right here on the OU Insider Under the Visor podcast, guys. How you how you doing? No, fantastic, paradise. fantastic. I mean, shoot, we are into fall camp, so it's it's real now. Football season has legitimately hit us, and the opener is. Oh, I just I just did the countdown piece today. As you know, there's 25 days. There you go, 25 there days go. away from football. That's what we are. Yeah, I like how coaches refer to this as the end of talking season, but it feels like this is peak talking season, in all honesty. (laughs) No, no doubt. Everyone's excited (laughs) about their progression as a team, but justifiably so, man. We're this close to starting a college football season that, honestly, I would argue is as anticipated as we've ever had in the sport. So, man, it's just been good to see guys putting the pads on, getting back to work, and hopefully working towards a really exciting year. Well, look – we talked to the coaches. Uh, we were out there, obviously, 
Uh, we uh, Parker and I got 20 or 30 minutes today of video, photos, all that type of stuff. Um, and I, I got to tell you, I think the one thing, and I, Parker, you tell me if I'm crazy, that stood out to me more than anything else on that field was standing 15 feet away from or 20 feet away from the defensive line. Holy crap. Hey, folks, like the hype around it is uh, obviously last year's performance makes it justifiable when you return everybody. But when you stand next to these guys or within, you know, a relative distance from them, you get to kind of see how large and athletic of human beings they are because we didn't get to do that last year. We weren't, we weren't close to Perry and Winfrey. Like we could see it in the photos and you could see it from the press box, how large he was, but you really couldn't get the full grasp of how huge he is. And folks, that guy is a large human being. It's ridiculous, Brandon, because I mean, we were standing there, like you said, no more than 15 feet away from upwards of a dozen defensive linemen, all of whom are massive individuals, right? And Perry on Winfrey still just look like a mountain among a bunch of molehills. He is so, he is so physically imposing even standing amongst all of his teammates within the position group that you just have to wonder how is anybody in the Yeah, that, that period Winfrey is, I, I got to tell you, is he the largest at, is him and Jordan Phillips, the largest two defensive tackles NOU history. I know this is such a side topic, but it's an interesting side topic. Like if we go back and we think like, okay, in you all's lifetime, you guys are 25 and under, right? So for me, I could, I could probably go back even further and there may be somebody bigger in my lifetime, but I'd have to really think about it. But since the two thousands, is there anybody that you can think of outside of Jordan Phillips that would be, and and let me tell y'all, Jordan Phillips it wasn't near the physical specimen as Perian Winfrey when it comes to body fat, muscle, and all that stuff. And I know this sounds very, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, very uh, icky when you say this stuff. But it, it, I'm saying like the the guy is he's built like. He's built like a dude, I guess is the best way to put it. I don't know. And then when God is up there crafting and he decides, I'm going to make a defensive tackle, he pulls out his catalog and there's a photo of Perion Winfrey in there. That man <laughs> is the ideal physical specimen to play defensive tackle. And yeah, like you were saying, yeah, it kind of feels weird to be saying that. But at the same time, I think it's also just the fact that we're so this feels so new to us just because we haven't been this close to the players in almost two years. So getting up close and personal and just being reminded of how freakish all of these athletes are. And then to see one guy that just stands out head and shoulders above the rest is remarkable. Mm -hmm. Who else, if you were to 
maybe you went through your photos, you were looking at somebody and you were like, wow, like that guy's transformed his body or this guy looks really good. Who was it in your mind, Parker, that, you know, stood out to you at today's session? I mean, shoot. Perion, like he was the guy, really. Yeah, but I mean, outside and of him, he's the, he's the easy one to talk about. Yeah, if I, you know what, if I'm gonna peg another guy, gosh, I gotta go with Mike Woods that because was mine. All right. that dude, oh boy, like you see him in person, like you talk about physical specimens when it comes to wide receivers. Like I'm not sure we've given Mike Woods his due because by all appearances, and we watched him running routes, we saw him catching balls. By all appearances, he has all the makings of a potential wide receiver one in this offense, which is crazy to say because you're talking about an offense that has Marvin Mims and Jaden Hazelwood and Theo Weiss. Folks, I'm just letting you know, Mike Woods has as much potential as anybody in that room. No, he does. And there's been some glowing reports on him that we're going to talk about on OU Insider VIP. Obviously, I'll have some notes coming on that. Uh, here in the next day or so. But um, yeah, the other guy for me, I thought was Justin Harrington because as a cornerback, that guy <laughs> is large. I got to stand next to him when my son did uh, the the kid camp at Oklahoma this year. And he was going through the drills with coach Manning and Justin Harrington was showing them the drills. And I looked over and I was like, golly that guy he's a cornerback like you you see it on the roster right you see it on the depth chart six three two fifteen six four two fifteen whatever he is listed as but to see it in person that's something else as a corner like you it, that's not normal it's not normal and then you hear he runs a four three or a four four forty because his dad was part of the olympic team the hurdle team i guess with michael Johnson back in the day. So that to me, I thought he was another guy that when you stand next to him, unless you stand next to him, you don't really get the full grasp of just how large of a human being he is for his position. I mean, it's good to hear too, because I mean, what were we saying exactly when he signed on? I mean, it feels like we were saying the exact same things about Justin Harrington whenever he entered the class. Ridiculously big for the position, extremely fast, all the tools of a special player, but then obviously he goes down. And I think he's been a guy that's been somewhat forgotten about on this roster. And so yeah, I think encouraging to say the least for you to come out of that session and say, okay, Harrington still looks the part. It still looks like he has all the physical tools. He might even be expanding his capabilities as a player. It's a guy who, if Oklahoma's going to play championship caliber ball this year, probably going to need him. And if he's already looking the part, it's pretty encouraging. And you yeah, know who uh, else? You know who else looks the part too? Kind of on a similar note, Jalen Redmond, who hasn't played uh, yeah, in just as does. long as Justin Harrington has. Uh, it's pretty clear that whatever rust Jalen Redmond had to shake off, uh, he's shaking it off throughout the spring and summer. Yeah, he he. He looks much more toned, much more. He doesn't, he's lost a lot of that baby fat. Um, he, he definitely looks the part. I, and then you hear Calvin Thibodeau talking, you know, and I asked that question. I said, you've been here for, there were at least had some sort of, well, how do, I don't remember how I worded it. His perspective is different than everybody else's. 
because he played back from like 2004 to 2007 or 2003 to 2007 ish or something like that. And then to have him go off, start coaching at Tulsa, he's still kind of close enough to the program that he can see what's going on. Be at Kansas playing against Oklahoma, still see what's going on. And then for him to be here in Norman and be like, okay, well, I, so I said, what is your perspective of the depth? If you want to compare it to all the times that you've been paying attention to Oklahoma football till now, how is it? And he said, the system makes it different because the system allows him to play six or seven guys where back in the day you had two, three, four guys that you rotated and that was it. He said, but with Alex Grinch, you get to see more of the players and more of the potential of the players. And he goes, that's what's actually helping Oklahoma. And he said, it's a great recruiting tool for him because they walk into a home and say, we play guys 30, 40 snaps a game and you're going to be fresh. So you're going to be getting sacks because you're going to be able to go hundred mile an hour instead of having your hands on your hips and being tired. So you're going to get of those 30 or 40 snaps, you're going to get more out of those than you are out of 80 snaps in a game, maybe you play in a different system. So there's a lot, a lot of good going on, especially with the front seven. And I think that's, that's a, that's the captain obvious statement. I think, uh, I think the back end is what we'll probably get into when we start talking about things that have to happen and can't happen. I'm sure that's what we're going to talk about uh, when it comes to the defense, but uh, offensively, I thought uh, Austin Stogner also looked really good. I thought he looked uh, a lot. He looked, he looks like he weighs about 255, 250-ish, but he looks better. It looks like better on him. Um, something, and you could kind of see it in his face when he did the interview the other day, where he would just look slimmer uh, as far as just like in better shape. So that's good for Oklahoma. Obviously seeing him come out of that and I also thought that uh, Theo Weiss looked good. I thought Jaden Hazel would look good. And, uh, I mean, it goes without saying that Eric Gray is just a dude. So, and offensive line-wise, they got some cats. Anton Harris, Harris, Harrison looks – I mean, he just looks like an athletic freak. And Bill Beatenbo touched on that today. Like, he's like, he's got to keep the weight on, though, because as athletic as he looks, he struggles to hold – the weight because of his genetics. And he said he wants to eat right all the time and eat the fruits and the vegetables. He said, Hey man, I don't want you sluggish, but go get a freaking, you know, <laughs> honey bun or two type of deal, but keep that weight on you. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny that he's like, I, ah, you know, maybe I should probably start eating like Anton. <laughs> maybe I would lose some weight. So uh, no, but I don't know, man. There was a lot of good that came out of what we saw today. I, I, it was refreshing. I think more than anything, I think we're over here babbling because we're excited to actually get to stand next to football. No more question. Than anything else. One, one other name I want to throw out there, a newcomer that looked like he belonged on day one, Jalil Farouk. Yeah, he did, huh? He really mm-hmm. did. That's yeah. a man that could contribute sooner rather than later in that offense. And granted, he's not going to be pushed into anything simply because of the depth that's all across the board on that OU offense. But 
you know, as, as we know, they have plans to ultimately deploy him in a variety of facets. And so if they need a plug and play option at some point down the line, I get the sense he's going to be ready. And you know, we didn't even talk about Spencer or Caleb, which everybody probably expected us to totally dive right into them as far as guys that looked apart. But I mean, I, I, that would have been the easiest way to go about it. So, yeah. um, well, Brandon, somewhere out there, you know, some somebody named Larry is shaking his fist at us. Like, why aren't you talking about the quarterbacks yet? boys? Yeah. Probably because they're good and we know it. So let's move on to another position. <laughs> uh, it's Lincoln Riley's offense. I, there hasn't been a bad quarterback yet. Um, so uh, let, let's let's dive into since we've talked about what we saw today. Uh, you guys have all listened to the coaches. We were there. What are some of the things that stood out to you from Bill Biedenboe, from Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and Calvin Thibodeau the last couple of days? I think with Biedenboe in particular, what really stood out to me is who he's got at left tackle versus right tackle. I thought there was an interesting uh, conglomeration of personnel on both of those respective sides because what I didn't expect was for Wanya Morris and Anton Harrison to both be taking reps at left tackle. I kind of yeah. figured, as did I think a lot of people, that those were your two starting tackles heading into the year. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, they and Savion Bird are all taking reps at left tackle right now. You have Eric Swenson, Aaron Parks, who apparently has been sneaky good, and Tyrese Robinson, of all people, getting reps mm-hmm. at right tackle. So granted, we know that Bill Biedenboe has a reputation for shuffling guys around throughout camp. So that is by no means an indication that Harrison and Morris are both going to be at left tackle once camp wraps up and we get in season. But I thought that was interesting. Just the fact that your ostensible two best tackles are taking reps at the same position. Um, I, I'm never going to question Bill Biedenboe because he has demonstrated time and time again that he knows better than any of us. So uh, I will trust his judgment, whatever his plan is for that room. One thing that I think did become very clear today uh, is that he views Andrew Rame as his starting center. I think yeah, if you can, I think. If you can <laughs> yeah. say, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, there's one guy that's going to be starting at one position along this offensive line. It's Andrew Rame at center. Well, according to Bill Biedenboe, maybe one of the more standout quotes is that there were apparently only four practices to this point. So <laughs> remember that. He's keeping now, count. <laughs> I will say this. Like for me, I was potentially as encouraged as I've been in the wild just to hear Savion Bird's name because I was talking about this with a buddy after he dropped that quote. I mean, it's like of the highest rated signees from that Oklahoma 2021 group, which was as heralded as it was. I would argue that for the type of prospect that he was, Savion Byrne was probably one of the more forgotten about signings of that class. And now here we are talking about this guy, again, four practices in. And look, offensive line depth is going to be pivotal, especially because I would think we'd all anticipate and likely expect Anton Harrison and Wanya Morris to not necessarily be playing the same position throughout the entirety of next season. And so... For Bird to be someone that Oklahoma could potentially lean on, whether that be this year, next year, or beyond, that's a big deal, man, especially considering the fact that that's a guy who at one point seemed like he was going to be maybe a little bit too frail to play the position to tackle, and then at one point maybe even put on a little bit too much weight. And so now it's seemingly like he's kind of put it all together. It's clicking for a guy who has every physical and mental tool. And Savion Bird's a guy who, out of Duncanville, knows a thing or two about playing high-level ball. And so if you're able to insert a guy like that into your offensive line, when you need him 
that's a luxury that not a lot of other teams have. And then I would just reiterate what Parker and you, I'm sure, will touch on as well. I mean, Andrew Rain, the center position is going to be crucial, obviously, because Oklahoma asks so much of that position in this offensive scheme. But I think it's also, and it's something I talk about all the time, when Andrew Rain signed, Lincoln Riley called him the best player that he's seen in the state of Oklahoma since he was at OU. And that's a high bar to set for a player like that, especially on the offensive line where we know the expectation that's set for the Sooners along the line of scrimmage. But for Andrew Rain to already seemingly be taking command of a position that is so taxing physically and mentally, it's got to be incredibly encouraging. If he can become a leader this fast in the process, this offensive line, I mean, we'll dive into it here in a second, once a question mark is seemingly becoming a strength for a championship caliber team. And that's a big deal. Yeah. I, look, that, that comment, he said, you know, there, well, Andrew's got to do this. Andrew's got that. And then he let it over with, well, he's playing great. He's doing this. He's doing that. He, there's, I can't really say much negative about him because of how he's handled this or that throughout the first couple of practices. And he said, even leading up to it, in the spring, he just thought that Andrew was taking the rain was taking this like massive step in this growth uh, at the center position. And he even came out and said that he may be more athletic. He may pick things up a little bit quicker than Creed did. Uh, he said the one thing that he thought Creed had on him was strength. And he said, but that's something that can be, can be fixed. So I, I think there's high expectations. I think we all think there's high expectations for Creed right now, or sorry, Creed, there is high exposition for Creed. He was really good for Andrew Rame. Uh, so uh, look, and even if that doesn't happen, he seemed really pleased with Congle, Robert Congle, and how he progressed from spring to to fall. He seemed really happy with Nate Anderson, uh, who also plays multiple positions, can play center guard or tackle for Oklahoma. Like he is a He's a multifaceted guy for Oklahoma. And then, you know, you've got Ian McIver, who's played, what do you say, 300 snaps or something like that at Oklahoma. So, I mean, look, that center position, it, it's funny to say, it's weird. It's really weird to say this. So it, it, tell me if I'm crazy here when I say this. It's a position that going into the spring had a thousand questions to come along with it. But now you kind of get the feeling that the only question is, is will Andrew Rame do any rotation with maybe Congle or something like that in a game? Because that's your dude. I that's mean, it. Shoot. He certainly sounds like the dude, because let me tell you, if the only distinguishing factor in Bill Biedenboe's evaluation between Andrew Rame and Creed Humphrey is strength. Like if you're Andrew Rame and the only distinct advantage that Creed Humphrey has on you is strength. That means you're a hell of a football player because Creed yeah. Humphrey is one of the strongest men you will ever encounter. That's, that's a freak of nature in terms of strength. And so the fact that Rame is the subject of such high praise and that comparison in any capacity leads me to believe that he is the dude at center and yeah. they're going to, you know, you got obviously Robert Congo, you got Chris Murray, you got guys that were in the mix there at center. It's becoming pre pretty evident that if they're going to carve out a starting niche on this offensive line, 
it's going to have to come at guard because for the moment, barring injury, Rams got a stranglehold on this gig. Yeah. And then I, I, the other thing I thought was, was interesting was and you brought up Tyrese Robinson. Uh, he's going to play both positions, which we knew because he's done that in prior seasons. He's played tackle. He's played guard when needed to, he's gone out to play tackle, but what Bill Beanbo said, I can't remember what my question was. It was something like, what do you look for in guys that can do what a Tyrese Robinson or a Cody Ford or even a Drew Samia can do where they can just plop in and out and do all those different type of things and play those different positions. And he said, you know, he used to have like this, this preconceived notion that, every tackle had to be six foot five, six foot six with long arms and athletic. He said, now I just want guys that are athletic that are going to be able to beat the, beat the guy back, uh, beat the edge rusher to their spot because, and, and be able to counter with it because otherwise, you know, it, there's, there's no point in having a stiff guy back there just because he has long arms. That's, that's not going to help you. He said, Cody Ford changed the way he he coaches the offensive line. And thus he's actually changed the way college football coaches coach offensive line because a lot of people are doing what Bill Beanbow's doing. They're going to find their two athletic guys. As long as they're six three or above, six four, they're good. Put them on the tackle spots and let's roll type of deal. And I thought that was interesting. And then he then he added a little bit more about Tyrese Robinson and said, and he looks better than he ever has at OU. We know last year T-Rob came in and he even said himself, I feel like crap. I look like crap. I'm not in good shape. I should have done better last offseason. Those were his words. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but uh, he was harsh on himself, like very hard on himself when he talked to us. And now he's coming out and saying, Bill Beanbow's saying, this guy looks thin. And you know, that was something I noticed at the practice, like T-Rob wearing by me. And I was like, whoa, like that dude's lost, you know, his midsection is way skinnier than it used to be. He's a little bit thicker up top, like in muscular wise, but he's not near as a pudgy as he was. And that, that's a, that's, that's good news for OU fans because when uh, T-Rob is healthy and, and doing good, uh, 2019 T-Rob was pretty good. He was pretty good when he was in shape and for him to be in better shape than he was then. Hey, Hey, he's smarter, stronger, bigger, faster. That's good news for OU fans. Lastly, for me, I thought flipping over the D well, first, first things first, before I go, lastly, Marquise Hayes wasn't brought up today, which I thought was really interesting. Like nobody said anything about Marquise Hayes. Like not one time was his name brought up. He's he's gotten to be so good and so consistent that he's kind of an afterthought at this point. Well, I mean, uh, it, on that offensive line, Marquise Hayes is probably the one guy you just know. <clears throat> you know. What yeah, I mean? yeah, right. I mean, like, well, like, and yeah, when your name when your name isn't getting mentioned, that's usually a good thing. I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think just I think he's just it, from everything that I've heard is he he was he was dynamic this off season, like really worked hard, really focused on a lot of things. Um, so I don't think it's a negative that he wasn't brought up at all. I think that was more of, 
He started for three years. He's always been the best player on the offensive line. That's not going to change this year. Not much more you can say about the guy. I mean, he's a, he's uh, a locker room favorite. People love that dude. Yeah, he's a, a first-team All-Big 12 guy. I mean, He's a menace. Like, that's a guy know. who loves being the bully. So, you just you don't worry about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I guess flipping over to the other side, I, I, and I know I, I harped on it earlier about the depth on the interior, but I was talking to somebody last night, and, and they said, look, this is the best front seven in Norman since 2009. And they said it is not close. And that's saying something because people need to remember. I know people want to talk about how bad the defenses have been lately, but that 2015 front seven was good at OU. I mean, Charles Walker, Charles Tapper, Jordan Evans, Dominique Alexander. I mean, that Eric Stryker, that was a salty front seven salty front seven Jordan Wade I mean so look to have that type of talk you again I know I said it earlier it's you've got to feel good as an OU fan going into the 2021 season obviously they have to put all this stuff on the field and it's not just practice but coaches don't normally talk like this unless they feel like they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna put it all together on the field at some point. And consider this as Bill Biedenboe repeatedly emphasized today, we are four days four practices in. yeah, four practices in. So what would you expect from a coaching staff for practices in you would expect them to be coming out like their hair was on fire, freaking out because they got a zillion things to set straight before the season. It is the diametric opposite right now among the Oklahoma coaching staff. There is such poise. There is such confidence. It is quite literally as far from what you would expect for what is today, August 10th. It is as far from what you would traditionally expect to be hearing from coaches on August 10th, as you can imagine. We haven't got wide receivers yet. So I think that's going to be interesting when we hear about that. Cause I think that was the other question mark was uh, they obviously had the most drops for touchdowns last year. What was it like nine or whatever? They dropped touchdowns throughout the whole season. That's not good. Um, That, that, that's a, that, that Oklahoma should have been undefeated. Those nine drops cost them Kansas state and it cost them Iowa state. I mean, I can think of both games where that was played a major factor uh, in why they lost those two ball games. Three of those drops came in that game against Iowa state two by OBOBLO and one by Theo Weiss. Right. And then uh, Kansas State, Marvin Mims dropped one right in his breath. No, basket. that was also that was also Iowa State, where he was all we alone dropped one against K State too. Scene. Was was maybe was that Iowa State? It was Iowa State, yeah, because that was. I thought it was. K-State. I mean, Mims had Mims had literally been flawless up until that point, the yeah. first couple of okay. games of his career, and it, it was that Iowa State game because the wheels just fell off because he he dropped that one where he was wide open going down That's the seam and there was about. nobody yep. between him and the end zone. Yeah. Yep. So there was four against four Iowa drop State. touchdowns in a single of the game. nine. Yeah. Yeah, that that made quite a bit of difference. I mean, the, the, if you go back and you think about it, if Oklahoma beats Iowa State last year, they're probably in the playoffs. 
<laughs> I don't think that's a question. I think they I certainly know, right? are in the playoffs. Yeah, so I mean, there you go. Uh <laughs> so uh yeah, so <clears throat> we've talked about you know everything that we saw, we've talked about everything that we've heard lately, and I know it's all good, OU fans, but you're about to get some negative. You're about to get some realist, some negativity coming. All right, guys. This is where I shine. <laughs> two things we're going to go let's go bad first two things that can't happen that oh you can't allow to happen or or two things that could cost oklahoma a national title game if you'd like me to start i can go ahead and do that go I, ahead. I, I know i go ahead you're over there like six I, I, night over this I feel like all the fans at home are like, all right, let's go ahead and get the realist in here, get this out of the way. I'll, I'll go two sides of this. So I'll look at the roster side of things. Obviously, we talk about some of the concerns, right? You mentioned the offensive line. You mentioned the wide receivers. For me, I think when we talk about this defense, right, I see a lot of encouraging pieces. My one fear with this defense is that if Oklahoma can't directly replace not just the production, but the impact that a one Ronnie Perkins had on this group, how are you going to expect to win a national championship? Because look, I, I could make this a, a double-sided argument and add Ramondre Stevenson here, but I would argue that between Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, they're going to be okay at the running back spot. And I think those two will make up for what Ramondre Stevenson was providing. But Ronnie Perkins, when he entered into this team, immediately set the tone and catalyzed a roster to a second half of the season that we probably didn't even expect, considering how the first half went. And look, it didn't take a genius, right? You just had to turn on the tape. Ronnie Perkins was the heart and soul of that team whenever he was able to recline yeah. return. And look, am I saying that there aren't the pieces in place to be a Ronnie Perkins-type player? No, Jalen Redmond, Isaiah Thomas, Perion Winfrey, the list goes on and on. There are it's going to have to be by committee is what you're saying, right? That's my thing is, number one, if this committee does not replicate the production that Ronnie Perkins had as a one-man wrecking crew, that's a big deal. The other part of this is just that presence vocally and obviously on the field. When Ronnie returned, everything changed. And that's not an overstatement. And so for me, let's say Jalen Redmond takes a little while to get back into the full swing of things. Let's say Isaiah Thomas is facing consistent double teams and isn't able to beat them. Let's say Perion Winfrey or Isaiah Coe or whoever you want to throw out there doesn't meet some of the expectations that are being set for them throughout the course of the season. Well, here's the thing, man. Like Perkins was that guy. And who's going to be that guy for a defensive front that has a lot of potential backups, if that makes sense. And so I want to see who's going to be that Ronnie Perkins tie. Who's going to be on a loaded defensive front, the one dude that when you need a play to be made, does it and does it consistently. That's a big key for me. The other part of this is from a schedule perspective. It's no secret. I think Oklahoma has a cakewalk in 2021. I mean, this schedule's a joke. I just, it's hard for me to see in a preseason win total 
at 11 wins already. Any scenario where they don't meet at least 11 victories. That being said, though, I'm really looking at the one shot for Oklahoma to potentially slip up and go back-to-back years with two conference losses is that TCU game in Norman right after OU Texas. It's sneaky. But here's my thing. I think Max Duggan, after the hell he's gone through the first couple of years, has a chance to be a special player. I think TCU defensively has a number of questions, but Gary Patterson at the end of the day, that's a dude. And then the last time that TCU was in Norman, Duggan's freshman year, that wasn't a cakewalk, okay? Oklahoma's going to be the overwhelming Big 12 favorite. We know this. Oklahoma's going to be more than favored in every single matchup that it faces. We know this. But at the end of the day, whether it be a Kansas State or an Iowa State, it's about catching Oklahoma on its heels at a bad time. And so for me, I don't expect Oklahoma to go on the road and lose to KSU yet again. I don't see this Iowa State team being able to beat Oklahoma this year. So if I'm going to find a place outside of OU Texas that there could be a slip up there, OU TCU is kind of intriguing to me, man. Again, these are two kind of nitpicky type things, but I think that indicates the caliber of play we're expecting from Oklahoma in 2021. But these are kind of overlooked aspects of this team going into the season that I think could be at least on the radar as we get closer to the year. And if they're not addressed or taken care of in the moment, it could become a serious issue. Yeah, no, I think you make a really good point there, Colin. Um, the reality is the expectations are very high for TCU this season, and especially coming off what will certainly, well, what is inevitably an emotional high, win or lose uh, in that game against Texas, there is the ch- opportunity, there is the chance uh, to have a letdown uh, at home against TCU. And we, how quickly we forget the Horn Frogs took Oklahoma down to the wire in Norman last time they were up here two years ago. The final that game was 28 to 24. It snapped Oklahoma's streak of, I want to say, 22 straight games of 30 or more points. So the Horn Frogs are certainly a team that could present some problems for Oklahoma. Um, as I look at things from my perspective here, I think it's less about questions of personnel because this Oklahoma team is just so, so deep. In my mind, I look at things that could cause the team to unravel. Like, what is the thing that could be the first domino? What could start the chain reaction uh, to where this team ends up with multiple regular season losses and ends up on the outside looking in in the college football playoff? And I think the place you start naturally is with injuries, but the team is so deep that there's really only one area in which I have my worries. If an injury occurs, I think the one player that if he's sidelined could be a huge, huge, massively significant loss for Oklahoma is Eric gray. Because when you look at Oklahoma early last season, when they didn't have Ramondre Stevenson, they still had capable running backs, right? They had Seth McGowan. They had TJ Pledger. They had Marcus Major. What didn't they have, though? They didn't have that pass catching back. And as you saw in games like Kansas State and even Texas, for that matter, 
having a pass catching back is a tremendous asset that the Sooners conspicuously lacked in Ramondre Stevenson's absence. Eric Gray is expected to be that guy. And obviously we're still kind of unsure what exactly we're going to get with Trey Bradford, but for the moment, it appears that Gray is the only guy that you can count on out of that backfield to be a legitimate threat in the passing game. Kennedy Brooks is not that guy. Marcus Major has never really been that guy. Again, Bradford's a bit of a question mark. We'll see what his skill set looks like once you get him. Major can't be field. that guy right now, but well, that's, 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 <laughs> that's an entirely different conversation. <laughs> but like I said, the fact that Oklahoma is thin at running back as is, and the fact that Eric Gray is the only guy that ostensibly is capable of being that passing down back, at least the only guy that's proven he's capable. That leads me to believe that that is the one, that's the one guy in my mind whom his loss could significantly affect the functionality of the offense, because that's a critical piece to any offense is having a pass catching back. And you don't realize how much you miss it until Ramondre Stevenson steps back in halfway through last season. He realized, Oh shoot. Having a running back that can catch passes, that can run those little swing screens and create in space, that does you a lot of good on the offensive side of the football. So to me, Eric Gray's got to stay healthy. And I know that's a super basic thing. And, you know, there's probably, you know, odds are he's going to stay healthy for the whole season. You know, injuries. Oh, you better knock on wood, man. Oh, you fans are smiting you right now. <laughs> Look. I get that we're kind of throwing darts at a dartboard when we talk about the whole injury conversation in general, but as long as Eric Gray stays healthy, I really don't see how the wheels fall off for this Oklahoma offense. Every other position, I think you have somebody that you can replace a starter with. You have a capable reserve waiting in the wings that can step in and produce on an adequate level so as to get you by. Now, turning things over to the other side of the football, what I worry about with the defense, and this is the second thing I'll cite, is a lack of intensity. Or hmm, interesting. That's yeah, interesting well, angle. and here's where, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going with that. Think about this, Brandon. When was the last time Oklahoma played a game in the Big Twelve in which they did not have the most talent on the field? It's been years. It has been years. However, where does Oklahoma trip up? They yeah. tend to get complacent, generally on the defensive side of the football, and they allow less talented teams to hang with them, build momentum, and surmount their leads. And so, particularly on the defensive side, where expectations are so high, that's been the bugaboo in the Alex Grinch era. There's a market improvement since Mike Stoops left town, right? That's that's not up for debate. That's not a question. The defense is in far better shape than it ever was under Mike Stoops. However, there came a time last year, there came a couple of times where, as talented as that defense was, they let the foot off the gas for just an instant, and one thing led to another, and the opponent built momentum, and you end up on the wrong end of an upset loss to Kansas State, you end up on the wrong end of an upset loss to Iowa State, you very nearly blow a double-digit fourth-quarter lead against Texas. And granted, they came on strong at the end of the year. But those early-season doldrums can't rear their head again this year. 
And again, I'll go back to the fact that we're nitpicking here. I don't think we look at any of these things as legitimate glaring concerns where, you know, we've got our fingers hovering over the panic button. Right. But I think when we're talking about things that could potentially cause Oklahoma to slip up and end up on the outside looking in, when you're talking about the college football playoff, based on what we've seen in years past from OU, you have to look at the patterns and for better or worse, that is a pattern that's been cultivated. And there is absolutely no reason why Oklahoma based on the unit that they're going to walk out on the field this year, doesn't break that pattern, but we got to see it, right? We got to see it all gel on the field. We got to see them build momentum in non-conference play and roll into the big 12 eager to prove that they are the juggernaut. Everybody expects them to be, because if they are, as you mentioned, there is nobody that's going to contend with them in big 12 play. There is nobody. No, I, you guys both make really good points. Um, for me, I think offensively and I, I'm with you on the Eric Gray thing, but I think you're going to have, you're going to have a lot of OU fans that are going to come out and say, well, we've seen Kennedy Brooks do those type of things. We've seen him catch a ball and on screen passes. I, I So Parker for you, so we clear that one up. Are you talking about lining up in the slot and running routes type of deal, kind of like Ramondre would do at times? Or are you talking yeah, about I'm catching? Talking, I'm talking about, you know, you think of Kennedy Brooks as a downhill type of runner, right? He's right. the guy that takes the ball, hits the hole, one cut type of guy, generally speaking. Eric Gray is a guy that you can do a lot with in terms of where you line him up, the way you designate plays in order to get the ball in his hands, and a guy that is just extremely elusive in space, mm-hmm. which Kennedy Brooks is elusive in his own right, but you're talking about two distinctly different styles. And I think right. the style of running that Eric Gray brings to this offense, uh, just his style as a player, as a whole, uh, is irreplicable in my mind when you look at the other candidates in that backfield room. Okay. Just wanted to clear that up. So they, they, I was trying to think like a fan when asking that question. Uh, so for me, things that, you know, could really hold Oklahoma back. The two things for me is, is this is going to be a weird thing to say. Um, and I, it's just one of those deals where for me, it's just, what if, Rattler got hurt. And I know that people are going to say, well, yeah, there's Caleb Williams. And I think Caleb more than capable of winning a national title for Oklahoma at the quarterback position. But you, 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 whenever a quarterback gets hurt, say in a certain part of the season, and let's say it was at a crucial point in the OU Texas game that he goes down and Texas just so happened to have momentum at that point. That could be a deal where even if Caleb played the way we all think he's going to play when he goes in. And I'm one of those guys that thinks if he comes in, and say, heaven forbid, Rattler gets nicked up. You know, that's what we're talking hypotheticals here, people. Heaven forbid, he gets nicked. 
I'm not sure that he relinquishes that spot. I, I, I think Caleb's that good. I know that that may be crazy, but I really do think he's that good. Now, I don't think that I, I will also follow it up with this. I don't think, I don't think Riley would not put Spencer back in as a starter once he was healthy either. But I'm just saying, I think he could play up to that point where it would be kind of a question of, do you want to put him back in? You know, you, you all get what I'm saying, right? Like that type of deal. But no, I, I, I just think that at any point in time, you don't want your starting quarterback to go down. I think that is bad no matter how good the backup is because you can't control the timing that that happens. And in college football, it's not like the NFL where you can just throw in, oh, I'm trying to think of a backup quarterback that came in and you can't throw in Kurt Warner. You can't throw in. The one I always think of, Brandon, is Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, Alex Smith, you 2011. Can't in, yeah, you can't throw in Alex Smith. You can't throw in Nick, uh, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, oh, my gosh. Bulls. Nick Foles, Nick Foles. You can't throw in Nick Foles. So if if they were to lose a game, that could be detrimental to the whole season and your chances of being in the playoffs. That's the difference between college football and that's the difference between NFL. And I know I'm going off on a tangent on that, but yeah, I, I think it goes without saying you have to stay healthy at the quarterback position, whether it's Rattler or Caleb Williams, you have to stay healthy. The starter has to stay healthy. I think that is the the most obvious statement there is, but you all took really good ones earlier. So I'm literally stuck with freaking quarterback at this point. (laughs) Okay. As you go to your second one, whatever it may be, just to back you up. I hate that. Like an unpopular take now is that Rattler is apparently just not that good. I mean, since Rattler's. Oh yeah. 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 No, he's amazing. That's what I'm saying. You mentioned it. Bar for nine drops, this guy puts together one of the best statistical seasons as a young player we've seen in a while. Thank you. Thank you. His arm talent, I would argue, is one of the best that Lincoln Riley has had during his tenure at OU. I I would argue, and I had a a close source tell me this, that as far as arm strength goes, the two on campus right now are the strongest that they've had in Norman ever. Spencer Rattler's a stud, dude. Everyone needs to remember and appreciate just how good this guy is. He's a first. When you when you combine Rattler and Williams arms together, not like as like put them together and they're strong, but like the two players, there's a lot of people in Norman that feel that those two players' arms are stronger than Baker and Kyler's were. And that's saying something because those two guys had cannons. Kyler had a rocket, man. I know, Kyler made throws that I have seen very few quarterbacks make. Well, and they think Spencer can do that, then some. And they think Caleb can do that, then some, once he gets to that point as well. So there's a lot of confidence in those two quarterbacks. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying as a whole, the quarterback position has to stay healthy for Oklahoma to do what they need to do. It doesn't matter if the offensive line comes together like we think it's going to, but that's a question mark. That's a legit question mark. If that offensive line doesn't come together, you're not going to win a national title. If the wide receivers don't start being more consistent, 
you're not going to win a national title. If the running backs don't make plays and, and can help control ball games, you're not going to win a national title. But all that doesn't matter if the quarterback position isn't healthy and you're rolling out Rucker or Ben Harris or, or Micah Bowens. I mean, and I'm not blasting those guys. They're not Spencer Rattler or Caleb Williams. You know what I mean? Like the, the, that's, that's, that's the fact. And, and most of and the other thing is, is you have a Heisman trophy candidate at quarterback. Like he's that good. You got to keep him upright. Yep. Got to keep him healthy. And that, that to me is, is the deal. And I'm not saying, and, and I don't want people to say, well, do you, you don't think Caleb Williams can't come in there and do it? I just said, I did. I think he can come in and win that's the title for Oklahoma. I think he is amazing. And I think he's going to be, he could walk away being the, he's never played it down at Oklahoma, but just for argument's sake, he could walk away being the greatest thing ever when it's all said and done. That's just, I don't know that he's going to, but he sure as hell has a potential to be really, really good at Oklahoma. And he's come into the, he's come into Oklahoma Right now, he is not coming into it, and this is from talking to people. That kid came in thinking, I'm going to compete for the starting job. And he came in, he says, I'm going to compete for the starting job. And the other thing, he's come in there thinking, okay, if he doesn't want to, if he doesn't win the starting job, he's come in there thinking, I'm one play away. I need to stay as ready as I possibly can be because if I don't, I could cost this team a national title. And that is my point. Like, there is a lot of things that have to go right to win a national title. It only takes a little bit of bad luck for it all crumble on you really quickly. And that's on the offensive side of the ball. And you do, we, we talked about the, the wide receivers and their inconsistency. I mean, that I think, I think quarterback upright and wide receiver consistency. Those are two things that have to happen for Oklahoma. And I know I'm naming two on the offense, but uh, they need to find somebody that's going to be able to offset Marvin Mims. And we all think it's going to be Mike Woods or Jalen or Jaden Hazelwood. But I mean, and, and obviously you got Austin Stogner. That's going to make, he's going to make plays. We know, we know what's well, and shoot be. Theo Weiss. I mean, I know the great there's thing a about lot, having a guy a lot like of talent, but they just yeah. need to do it. Well, and the great thing about having a guy like Theo Weiss is he's stable, right? He was Spencer Rattler's most consistent third down target last year. And so he was, I think there's unquestionably a lot of talent there. And I think there's going to be a lot of stability. I think there's a very good chance that all four of those guys, Woods, Hazelwood, Weiss, and Marvin Mims could all top 700, 750 yards. We didn't even talk about Mario Williams. And and that's that's exactly (laughs) what I was going to get to next is the fact that (laughs) Mario Williams, a guy that I'm fairly confident would start right now for 90% of Power 5 institutions, is fifth on this depth chart. Fifth. Is he? I think he might start. I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> I think he might start. Good. I think, I think, I think, cause you got, here's the thing is, and I, and I, I don't want to say that I don't think Jaden Hazelwood's not going to start. I don't want to say Theo Weiss isn't going to start. Theo Weiss came out today and said, he hopes that the, the guys beat him out. He goes, I hope they beat me out. Like if they're that good, 
Hey, we're going to win ball games. Beat me out. Like uh, in team play, you know how, re- you know how refreshing that was to hear. Like he's not conceding the position fans. Like he is not conceding. He's literally coming out saying, Hey, you know, if, if they're better than me and we're going to win ball games, let's, let's do it. Like I'll, I'll back them up. I'm, I'm going to get catches. It's re- Lincoln Riley's offense. I'm going to get touches. Spencer Rattler is the quarterback. Caleb Williams is going to be the quarterback. If he's not, I'm going to get touches. So like, it's, it's like, he's not worried about that. He's worried about winning ball games. And that's what, that was his point. So to me, and I'm just going to guess if, if we were going to guess the starting three wide receivers right now, not counting Austin Stockner, I would say Marvin Mims at the slot and the two outside guys are going to be uh, Mike Woods and Mario Williams. That would be my guess Ooh. with Hazelwood and, and Weiss backing the two outside guys up. I think you're looking at Woods and Weiss. I mean, I t- no, you I could be right. How- I think we're just yeah. guessing. I mean, it's four practices in. I just four don't see how Theo four Weiss practices isn't. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. I just, I just don't see a situation based on the season he had last year where Weiss isn't in the starting lineup come week one. We forget how good he was a year. No, ago. he was good. He was good. He was good. He needed to be more consistent, but he was good. You're right. No, that's fair. That's fair. But for me on the other side, I think it's the secondary. I think, and not just the corners, because I think you feel more confident in the corners than you do the safeties. But I think, and it's not that I don't think the starters aren't good because I think the starters are good. And I know people get so mad when I say, and Colin says, and Parker says that Delarian Turner, Yell and Pat Fields are good football players. Everybody just wants to pull their hair. No, they're not. Yes, they are. <laughs> they're good football players. DTY is my dude. Yeah, like they're good football players. Pat Fields has started. He he actually, you know, picked the ball off a couple times last year. He was he's always in the right place at the right time. It's always been dropping the interceptions has been what pisses all the OU fans off. But he he caught some last year, so you have that. Number two, Delarian Turner yells healthy like completely healthy right now. No, I hope he does because when he's completely healthy, he's a really good player. But for me, I think what could cost Oklahoma is depth at safety now. And I'm not saying that the talent's not there because oh, the talent's there. They've recruited so well at those two positions, cornerback and safety. I mean, there's some dudes back there, but they've got to get it mentally. That's if y'all want to know what separates the Larry and Turner Yell and Pat Fields from the guys that are more athletic than them. They play smarter. It's they simple. Do. It is the most simple answer that in, I know you fancied it. Well, they're not taller. They're not faster. They're not bigger. Yeah. But do you really want somebody that's going to get burnt by 40 yards? Or do you want somebody that might bat the ball down because they're in the right spot? I'll take the guy that may not be as fast or athletic that's going to be in the right spot and bat the ball down and send him to third and long. Then a guy that if he's there, he'll intercept it, but you don't freaking know if he's going to be there because he's, he's, he's inconsistent on how he makes plays. So I think that is the key. They've got to solidify the safety spot. And I think the nickel position has to have the Billy Bowman and Jeremiah Cradell have to pan out. They have to pan out this year because uh, there still is that uh, there's still Kolar, 
<laughs> There's still some really good tight ends in the Big 12 that are going to cause some major freaking problems if they don't. Anyone want to refresh my memory real quick? What happened when Delaren Turner Yellow went down before the LSU game? <laughs> Anyone remember what happened in that game? I, I they, they picked on the replace the poor eight guy. Eight touchdown passes. I uh, love the replacement. I love the replacement. He's a great guy, but they picked on him and they picked on him and they picked on. We're not going to name names. I'm not. I'm not going after anybody in particular. I'm just no, saying. no, 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 no. I know you're not. I'm just saying we're not. Fans are like, well, go ahead and say the name. It, no, we're not going to say the name. There's it no point. Like Delaren Turner Yell has value. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, do you remember the 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 presser after he got hurt and just the look on Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley's face as they were answering questions about Delarian Turner Yell's injury? They weren't happy. I'll tell you that. Oh, they look like they lost their 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 dog. Like it was bad. Like you, you felt bad for them emotionally. Like they were just like, I mean, Ramondre Stevenson's out. Ronnie Perkins is out. And now Delarian Turniel broke his collarbone. Can somebody kick me in the nuts any harder? <laughs> That's kind of like it. Like it, they were like, everybody line up. We're going to spread open. Y'all just come over here with still toe boots and just start welling on our sacks. <laughs> Cause that's what it was, man. I mean, it was not I, good. Delarian Turner yell is the most undervalued member of this sooner defense. Uh, I would argue. And I will, I will go to are. war over that. That man can play football and he does not argue. get enough respect. I will argue both the safeties are severely underrated. I mean, you all have been on OU insider. But they both get bashed and bashed. And you're like, did Oklahoma and Don just have one of the best pass defenses in the country last year? Or is that just me? You all do know they play in the secondary, right? They're also two of the hardest workers and best leaders in that locker room. No, uh, people want to throw 2018 out there like it's still something. And the first part of 2019, before they started kicking it in gear on defense, before they met, LSU, obviously, uh, and, but people need to remember LSU did that to everybody. It wasn't just Oklahoma. They, they could have named the score against Clemson. And this was, this was something I was going to bring up earlier when we were talking about the championship path for Oklahoma in college football, a championship is still one on the back of a strong defense defense still wins championships with the very notable exception of that 2019 LSU team, because that was the greatest offense I've ever seen. And they were going to beat anybody that stood in their way. Yes. I mean, they're all in the NFL, right? Last I check for the most part, right? Yes. The, it, you know, the two greatest offenses I've ever seen was the 2019 LSU and the 2017 Oklahoma. I don't think that's even, I mean, that those are the two best offenses and heaven forbid Oklahoma had a defense that year. They probably would have won the national title. And you can say the same thing about the 2018 team because that offense might've been even better. Very true. I mean, uh, my point is, is that had they had, had Oklahoma had LSU's defense or at least half their personnel one, Alex Grinch wouldn't be the defensive coordinator. Mike Stoops would still be calling the plays. Think oh, about gosh. that. <laughs> you said that, not me. Um, <laughs> number two, um, the, they would have national titles. They would have national titles. 
Think about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird to think about, but it's the truth. So anyways, um, yeah, so let's, th- okay, now that we name things that have to happen, like as far as the two things, let's name two reasons why Oklahoma will win the national title. Let's Let's get positive here, folks. Colin, do you want to start this one off again? Come on, buddy. You can do it. Yeah, if you want to force positive in you. I can do I that. I believe in you, guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so I'll start off with this. I really do believe that Oklahoma is going to win the national title based on Spencer Rattler's play this year. I am. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that a prediction? Are we locking like, that in? Uh, if if they do and they are going to oh I now it's an if it was come I on they are going to now it's if come on man Stop this riding call i will reveal my national title pick at a later time but <laughs> i just like i kind of mentioned earlier i hate how much slack spencer rattler has received in the preseason for someone who is the heisman trophy favorite I don't get it. It's weird. I listen to all these national podcasts and radio shows, and I read all these articles, and everyone is all over. I don't think Spencer Rattler's a good leader. I think NIL deals are distracting him, blah, 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 blah. I mean, obviously, there's the Caleb Williams lobbying, and I don't care. Like, I don't care. I think Caleb Williams is a hell of a football player. But when did it become reality that it's just been so easy to rag on the one guy that Lincoln Riley pursued for so long for a reason. I mean, people forget like this was his guy and Spencer Rattler stepped into this program in a difficult situation. And last year, and it's something we've never seen before in college football, he took the cards he was dealt with. And towards the end of last season, he showed why he's such a Spencer special talent. And so for me, I really do think if Oklahoma wins the national title, if they're going to win the national title, people will finally be able to realize the caliber of player that Spencer Rattler is because again, nine drops away. You even take that in half. He's put up one of the best statistical seasons we've seen from a redshirt freshman in recent memory. And that 2020 team could have competed for the national title last year. They and may not have beaten Alabama, but they would have, they would have at least. I mean, look like the offensive line obviously had its questions receiver struggles. I mean, Austin Stogner misses a good portion of the year. And that's one guy who Spencer Rattler has a ton of chemistry with. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I think Spencer Rattler, if they're going to win the national championship, people will build an appreciation for the caliber of player that he is. This would be the second reason. If they're going to win the national championship, their depth will take the next step. And here's why I say this. In years past, Oklahoma has gotten away with, as Parker briefly mentioned, and it was it was a good point, Oklahoma hasn't been on a field within the Big 12 Conference where they didn't have the better talent in years. I mean, that just has rarely been the case. But to this point, this program has gotten away with that because that's really the bar. Not a lot of people truly expected Oklahoma to overtake the other teams within the top four of the college football playoff. But now more than ever, you know who Oklahoma's twos and their threes, let alone the ones, are going to be directly compared against? Because it's not going to be Texas. It's not going to be Iowa State. It's not going to be Kansas State or TCU. 
Now more than ever, Oklahoma's twos and threes, this, all this depth that we're consistently praising, they are going to be directly compared to Alabama's ones and twos and threes, Ohio State's ones and twos and threes, Clemson's, Georgia's, et cetera. For the first time in a while, though, I think that that depth is on par with some of the other programs towards the top of college football. Now, obviously, we're going to have to figure that out. And for all the praise we've received from the coaching staff to this point, they got to go out and play actual football games. But I think when you look up and down this roster, whether it's the six linebackers that could probably step in and play meaningful downs right now, or the number of receivers we just listed off as potential playmakers, or the running back crew that potentially be not just impactful, but versatile going into the season. Oklahoma, even the defensive back group for as young and and relatively unproven as it is, has a ton of talent and promising features that you feel good about stepping into any conference in football right now. I think if Oklahoma is going to win the national championship, it is because that Oklahoma's depth that is so praised to this point will directly prove that it is on par with the Alabama's, Clemson's, Ohio State's of the world. Do I think that will be the case? I'm tending to lean yes right now. But again, we'll have yet to see if that is truly the scenario we're going to see unfold. But I think Oklahoma fans have every right to be encouraged, and Oklahoma staff is indicating that that's going to be the case whenever they take the field in 2021. Folks, if Colin Kennedy, the least optimistic person on the OU beat, is willing to predict three weeks from now that Oklahoma is going to win the national championship, shoot, you can take that to the bank. Go to Vegas and bet your life savings because it's happening. I still, I still think. <laughs> Please don't do that. I, we, nobody at OU Insider, uh, nobody at OU Insider allows or s- says that Parker speaks for the rest of us. We just want to legally make that up. Retweets tweets do not equal endorsements. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Colin, you you highlighted the whole unit. You highlighted the whole defense. I want to highlight a couple of individuals here. Uh, one whose identity is known, and one whose identity is unknown. When you take a look at the offense, you know, Brandon, you expressed some concerns about the wide receiver group. Um, we're going to agree to disagree on that one because I'm very confident in this wide receiver group. I think they're going to get theirs. However, when I take oh, a look I do at too. Oklahoma's, I'm just being, I'm, I'm just being yeah, negative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I'm saying I have zero concerns whatsoever. Um, I have a lot of faith in this offense across the board. I think when you look at the backfield tandem approach that Oklahoma has traditionally employed, they've got two guys in Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks, whose skill sets complement each other's very, very well. Here's what I think needs to happen if Oklahoma is to take that jump, if there is a jump to be made right now on offense, because Lincoln Riley's offenses have perennially been among the best, if not the best in college football. I'm looking for Austin Stagner to go off because if he has a big Mm -hmm. year, especially as a red zone threat, and he can reel in 10 touchdowns and put up 500, 600 yards, be a security blanket for Spencer Rattler on third down, this offense has no weaknesses. It doesn't. If Austin Stogner goes off, if he is fully healthy, which all indications are that he is, if he has a big year, this Oklahoma offense is going to soar. Now on defense, and this goes back to the concern that you expressed earlier, Brandon, I really think a lockdown corner 
needs to emerge for Oklahoma. And I don't know who that is. It could be DJ Graham, could be Jaden Davis, could be Justin Harrington, could be a number of guys, but one way or another. Yeah, exactly. Even Latrell McCutcheon or Damon Harmon, if you're talking about freshmen, but if, Mm -hmm. yeah, I can't believe I forgot to mention Woody Washington because he was the best of any of them last year. But if you're looking at one potential Achilles heel for Oklahoma, when they get into big 12 play, how often do you see one guy, one pass catcher able to elevate his team to a victory on any given day? How often do you see one guy just go off, whether that's Denzel Mims in years past or Tylen Wallace or David Sills or Hakeem Butler? There are so many talented wide receivers across the big 12 year in and year out. And what you don't want is for one guy to single-handedly be your undoing because he goes off for 200 yards and three touchdowns. If you have a guy that you can plug and play on the outside against the enemy's number one, and you can guarantee that maybe he doesn't completely lock him down, but he mitigates his impact to such an extent uh, such that he's not carrying the offense on his shoulders. And he's not the only reason why the opposing offense is moving the ball then you're in a really good spot as a defense, especially when you consider that that front seven is potentially legendary. That front four in particular filled to the brim with NFL talent. So my concern, if there is a concern to be had on defense is like yours, Brandon in the secondary, I'm looking for a guy like a DJ Graham or like a Woody Washington to emerge as a true lockdown corner this season. If that happens, Oklahoma doesn't have a conspicuous weakness on defense. They really don't. Do you want to see me like you want to see OU fans have nightmares just off one name? Oh no. Just one name. You brought up guys that just like burnt Oklahoma (laughs) back in the day. Tavon Austin. The nightmare of all nightmares. What did he have? Like 500 all purpose shorts a game. And Landry Jones went and won it. Landry Jones went and won it. Yeah. Gosh, that was, that was a game. The game that they played. uh, Who who was it that they played as a middle linebacker that game? It was, it was, uh, what's his face Uh, from uh, Southmore. Uh, He's a deep, deep, he's a, he's a cornerbacks coach at a, Texas Tech now. Um, I was like 13, Brandon. You're going to have to cut me some slack on this one. Yeah. Is it Julian Wilson? It was Julian Wilson. Yeah. Played him at linebacker. They had him as the only linebacker out there. Um, That game almost single-handedly made Corey Nelson about transfer. Seriously. Anyways, I digress. Completely digress and got off topic there, as usual. Um. For me, Oklahoma will win the national title. I said, if Spencer Rattler, they can't have Spencer Rattler get hurt, you can't have Caleb Williams get hurt, right? Like The quarterback's got to be healthy, right? If the quarterback position stays healthy, you win the national title. Because I really feel like, as you talked about, Colin, I just think that Spencer's going to have one hell of a year. I do. I really do. And, you know, I, 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 
I'm not because I, I really think that in in Caleb Williams' mind, he is he's out there to compete for the job, as he should. And I think that Riley is going to let them compete for the job. But I, I think if he was the starter, he's got to stay healthy. That's my point is the quarterback room has got to stay healthy. If Spencer Rattler is a starter, he has to stay healthy. If Caleb Williams is a starter, he has to stay healthy. Now, obviously, one is the Heisman Trophy front runner going into the season. Um, and one threw for 3,000 yards last year plus in only 10 games and had nine drop touchdowns and probably should have had about 3,500 yards if you count all the touchdown drops and all the other drops, um, which is just an absurd number, by the way, in 10 games, mind you. Like that, it, like people need to wrap their heads around that. Um, and he did it without a run game. He did it without a run game. Like Ramondre wasn't there to help out. He was handing the ball off to TJ Pledger for a while. Granted, TJ Pledger played great against Texas, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, I think the quarterback play has got to, the quarterback room has got to stay healthy as a whole. It's got to stay healthy. And I think for me, as confident as Parker is about the wide receivers, I think Mike Woods has to be that guy that stretches the field that we all think he can be. That we all saw in some of the highlights at Arkansas where they didn't really have a good quarterback and he's still stretching the field and making plays. I think that, that, that those are the things on offense for me, you will win a national title because I think it goes without saying that if you don't have a good offensive line, you're not going to win a national title. I think that's a given, right? I think the offensive line obviously has to mesh, but I think the quarterback room has to stay upright and healthy regardless of who it is. We all think it's going to be Spencer, but regardless of who it is. And I think that Mike Woods has to stretch, be, be a compliment to Marvin Mims as far as stretching the field and helping Austin Stogner be open in the middle and stuff like that. And, and help Eric Gray with the run game Um, on defense. Oklahoma will win a national title. If they have two guys that have 10 and a half sacks plus. Two? Two. <sighs> okay, well, hold That's on. a big hold number, on. Brandon. That is a it, big number. Is it? Is it? How many? How many? How many did? How many did Isaiah Thomas have last year? Eight and a half. How many did Nick Benito have? Eight. And how many did Ronnie Perkins have? Seven? Six and a half, I want to say. I, was, okay. I thought he was six and a half range, yeah. Okay. Well, here we go. In 2019, Jalen Redman only played part of the season due to injury. How many sacks did he end up with? I can tell y'all he, off the top of my head. He had six and a half. He did. So you now have Pierian Winfrey, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas, and Jalen Redman as your starting front four. They've all had six and a half sacks or more. And I think, I think Winfrey had three sacks last year, but he is he just had to, one, one sack. Oh, he had one. Okay. Who was it that inside that three? Somebody had three. I can't remember who it was. Marcus um, Stripling had two and a half. What, there you go. That's what I'm thinking of. Um, but 
they're going to get trashed. Thibodeau talked about this. When I asked him how much easier does it make on the inside guys that Nick Benito is rushing off the edge? Cause normally it's how does the inside guys make it easier on the outside guys because they have to double team. Well, now they have to shift. They're going to have to shift their protections and stuff because Nick's so quick off the ball. There's going to be dudes that have trash sacks that normally aren't going to get sacks because they're going to roll. Quarterback's going to roll right into period and Winfrey, right into Isaiah Thomas, right into Jalen Redmond because they're so athletic. They're going to be back there waiting on him to bear hug him the second he makes a turn. So I think there's going to be two guys with 10 and a half sacks. That is my bold prediction, and OU will win a national title if that happens. Is it that really that bold, though? Hey. Considering we just named all the guys in year one as in a- thinking as the two guys that have to get there. Would it be Benito and Redmond? Are you throwing Isaiah Thomas in there? Oh, you want you want me to be specific now? Okay. Well, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just making this a lot harder on me. I was being begged, so I'd be like, "See, I was right." Well, here's my thing, and I have like, a 50 percent chance to get this right. <laughs> my thing is, is there's not a there's not a lot of names you can throw out there who are legitimate ten and a half sack guys. So I think you got to right. pick three names. All right, I have a 50 percent chance to get this right, so I'm going to do it anyways. All right. Nick Benito's one, obviously, coming off the edge. I mean, he's the given that I think – I mean, he had nine sacks last year, and I expect with everybody else that's on the front, uh, they. Uh, I think offenses are going to, you know, shift their protection over, slide their protection over to Benito at times. But I think OU's so good up front, and they still got really good blitzers and Osamo and Uwegbu and Caleb Kelly and Witter and – um, whoever the hell else they want to throw in the middle. <laughs> they're so loaded uh, coming up the gut. They're, they're good blitzers. I mean, we saw it. And we've seen Caleb Kelly blitz before. We've seen Osamoa Uwegbu do it. Uwegbu did it for off the edge in 2019 like a freaking stud as a freshman. And that's where we kind of all saw like, oh, this defense is going to be good in a couple of years. Like they got some, they got some things going. But – I don't think they're going to be able to slide their protection as much as opposing offenses as much as they would like to because of how talented everybody else is. So Nick's going to get those times where at the very least it's going to cause problems and it's going to help the secondary because they're going to have to keep a running back in or keep a tight end in on third down to help adjust and block those four. So it's going to be like six on four, but is that really going to be enough to stop these guys? A lot of the times, I don't think it is. You got a bunch of dudes that are top four round guys in the NFL coming at you and they're athletic as hell. Like this is, this is scary for the rest of like we saw at the end of last year, everybody was kind of like, I mean, poor Brock Purdy looked like he, his ass was laying on the ground every time he threw the ball in the big 12 title game. That dude, I mean, he, we talked about it up in the, in the press box or even on the afterwards, we're like, my God, that poor kid, like he was struggling. He got lit every time he dropped back to pass. And you know what? He made a comeback and made some big plays, but that's because he had some dudes to throw it up to like Kohler 
And I think the secondary is going to be better at Oklahoma, so it's going to make it harder, which is going to make it easier. These guys are going to be holding the ball longer, which means that's going to allow these athletic defensive guys to get back there. This is the first year where I actually believe that the, the secondary and the defensive front are going to work together from kickoff in September to the end in January for the first time since 2015. And we all saw how many sacks did Stryker have that year? That was the last time it happened. Wasn't it like 13 or 14 or something like that? Didn't he have like a lot or 11 and a half or 12 or something like that? I can't remember off what the top of my head. I want to say it was 11 and a half. I, I think it's something like that. I'm going to Eric Stryker college stats. You got me thinking here. And this is my whole point is what do you have? What was sex? He only had seven. He had nine in 2014, but 2014, they were just as salty in the secondary. They just didn't have a good offense. But often as a friend, you know, it's weird to say like the offense sucked at Oklahoma, but it was awful that year. Um, the Cody <laughs> Thomas days. Yes. <laughs> and the, they handed off the P Ryan and see if he can get. He yeah. Can so my J P Ryan's four twenty seven against Kansas is the only yeah. thing worth remembering from that season. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was an awful game to watch because it was raining and stuff. Um, but yeah, my, I guess my point is, is that, since 2014, 2015, that's the first time you can actually say the secondary and the defensive front are both good and they're going to work together to cause problems for one another. So I think I'm going to go with Nick Benito has 11 sacks this year. And there's a lot of people inside that program that think that that kid's going to have 12 or 13, maybe 14. Like they're that they're that optimistic on it. Now, obviously, I think that's a little stretch. Um, but if he does get to twelve or thirteen or fourteen, you're talking about a dude that went from third round to first round really quickly as a stand-up bed rusher, as long as he can put on some weight. Um, and I think the other guy for me, I'm gonna say Jalen Redman. I must say Jalen Redman. I, part of me wants to say Isaiah Thomas because he's playing the Perkins spot. And I think that's going to be the easiest. But I feel like Redman is more twitchy. Am I crazy for thinking that? I and think I'm, so. I mean, maybe, maybe. And even if I, I would say this, and, and maybe I should. Let's say I think Oklahoma is going to win the national title. Let me rephrase this. If Nick Benito has 10 and a half or more sacks and two of the other guys have at least eight, is that better? I think that's very realistic. Yeah, it's a tall, it's a tall ask, but I mean, it's that, that's definitely something that could be accomplished. I mean, because Redmond had six and a half one year. Isaiah Thomas had what six and a half or seven last year or something like that. Why can't it be done? You see what I'm saying? You're you're only asking for one one more, essentially. And combine all these knots together, someone's just got to win their matchup. Yeah, right. I think Benito and Thomas certainly go for eight, and I think Redmond. I I don't know if I'd venture to say he gets eight, especially 
inside, which granted, well, he, I mean, he got he six, had six and a half, and a half from the inside <laughs> in 2019, yeah. but I'm not willing to say that that's going to be the norm. Um, I'll give, I'll give Redmond's five or six. And I think Thomas and Benito could both very easily attain double digit okay. sacks. So Safe. on the whole, but I Perrin think average an eight between them. Okay. That that's kind of what I'm getting at. So, but Perrin Winfrey has four or five. Is that, is that, is that a first round year? Hmm. You're talking about a guy that's playing nose sometimes. If Perion Winfrey gets five sacks from the nose, being well, he's not, the beast he's a three that tech, he is, but I mean, he will slide yeah. over. Yeah. Being the beast that he is, I mean, shoot, I think if there's one guy on that defense that is as close to a slam dunk as a first round pick as it gets. If you're just talking about Oklahoma's defense, like if I had to place money on one member of that defense to go first round next year, I'd take Perry on Winfrey. I would take Jalen Redmond. What about you, Colin? I'm Cause right. you have to remember Redmond was last year was a preseason pick to be a first rounder by a couple right. of publications. If if you if Parker took Winfrey and you took Redmond, I would take Benito. I mean, Benito was like the easy one for us to pick. We're talking inside, homie. <laughs> I mean, uh, if you're talking to the whole defense inside, yeah, though, no, that, I mean, yeah, there's not there's not much that you between those two. Who would you pick? I would lean the direction of Winfrey, but only okay. be only because, because you saw him last year. Yes, I get it. Also, the health past the NFL. That's, that's fair. That's fair. No, that's fair. That's fair. Totally again, fair. realist yep. strikes again. I hate to do it, but no, no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I I'm going off of, yeah, we haven't got to see a whole lot of Redmond, but when we have, he's been spectacular. So that's kind of my thinking. Now mm-hmm. the, the NFL scouts are going to nitpick every little detail when he sneezes wrong, you know, all that stuff, you know, that crap, but I'm just going off play. Um, let me ask you all something before we close this out and talk recruiting real quick. Um, one player on defense and one player on offense that are going to shock you that, that, that is going to have a surprise season. Mm. And I, we're going to remember that cause I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to have this stuff in my notes so we can go back and talk about this uh, at the end of the year. Colin, I'm deferring to you here because you've you've gone first for all of these. So go ahead, lead us off. Okay, uh, offensively, surprise player. I would go. I honestly would probably lean in the direction of Jaden Hazelwood. Mm. Like I, I understand that a lot of people are hyping him up to a degree, but to what end? I don't know. I just don't know that a lot of people outside of this realm of things truly understand the capabilities that Jaden Hazelwood has as a wide receiver. And so with him being fully healthy, with him being motivated, you're talking about a breakout year, Jaden Hazelwood is a safe bet, in my opinion, especially because we've listed off Theo Weiss's capabilities and Mike Woods and Marvin Mims and Mario Williams. Jaden Hazelwood is a guy who, to me, if, if anyone's going to surprise in that receiving core and really take over and be that number one guy, Hazelwood would be the lean to there. Defensively, Jeremiah Cradell. 
I mean, everyone forgets about this dude and for obvious reasons, but Billy Bowman, I think is obviously going to be a stud. Everyone knows what I think about Billy Bowman. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Cradell is bringing in some preseason hype for a reason behind closed doors. And I think obviously that nickelback position as important as it is within the defensive scheme, a breakout season is going to have to be had there. Like you mentioned, Brandon, and I think Jeremiah Cradell has every capability and keep in mind, this is a guy who, when he chose Oklahoma, I mean, the entire staff erupted. I mean, this was a this was a dude that they were thrilled to get. He was their top defensive commit in 2019. Exactly. And then since then, he's just been kind of forgotten about. But Jeremiah Cradell now finally being able to step in. I mean, this is a dude who I think I've told the story on the podcast in the past. Two and a half hours. I'll never forget this. Two and a half hours knowing full well he's not going to play a single down. Jeremiah Cradell is out there with Will Johnson working on coverage drills in the freezing cold ahead of Bevel. Like, I will never forget that in my time covering Oklahoma football. And so for that reason, among several others, Jeremiah Cradell is a guy who has worked for an opportunity like this. And if you're going to talk about a breakout player this year, I feel like that's a guy you could easily point to and expect something special. Well, I am either going to look like an absolute genius or a fool with this prediction. I think Mike Woods goes for a thousand yards. I'm going to throw that out there. I think he crosses the 1,000 yard threshold. He he had over 600 for Arkansas. That's not well, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know if people realize how much higher his ceiling is at Oklahoma compared to what it was at Arkansas. And he was pretty dang good for Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's easy to forget about that guy, which I mean, we're giving him so much love on this podcast. Nobody's going to forget about him anymore, certainly, but it's been so easy to lose him in the shuffle as we've talked about this team throughout the off season, simply because he's so new and he's the most recent guy, save for Trey Bradford, the most recent addition to this team after transferring in late April. So Mike Woods is going to surprise a lot of people this year. I am convinced of that on defense. I think Ethan Downs is going to show you something. You and I've said his suck, name a lot. You suck, you suck, and you knew I was. <laughs> Did I steal that. yours? Yes. Oh man. Well, I mean, shoot. I don't mind doubling down on Ethan Downs because, uh, and Brandon, I don't know if they're two guys as high on that guy and his abilities as you and I. And if you listen to the coaching staff talk about uh, him, it's pretty clear that it's just not empty love because no, they believe in him in a big way, and he's got a very realistic shot of being a big time contributor for this defense in year one. Yeah. I got some stuff coming on OU insider about him and what some, uh, a very, very good source told me about what they think of him coming this season. Uh, he's, he's, uh, there's, they think he's going to be a dude and I'll leave you at that. So, uh, uh, did you, so you named your offense and defense for me offensively, Again, I don't know that it's a surprise, I guess, per se, because he's proved it to an extent, but had health issues. I'm going to go Stogner is going to have 700 yards receiving. I know that's not crazy because he had like 350 before he got hurt with half the season left last year. But I mean, like, uh, you know, I, I just think. And I think he's key. I think that I think he's a key to this whole deal. I really do. 
I really do. I think his play is going to be critical because of what if he can make the middle of the the defense have to acknowledge him, it's going to open so many things up for Mike Woods, Hazelwood, Weiss, and Mims, and everybody else on the outside, along with make the play action, make linebackers stall out, uh, allow Spencer, Caleb, whoever, to drop back and see the field a lot easier. Um, and then defensively, you named Cradell, we named Ethan Downs. I, I mean, I think Ethan Downs is going to be it, but if I was going to name somebody else, I, I'm going to go with Latrell McCutcheon. Mm. Come on. I think... I think him and I think Key Lawrence are going to have really big years for newcomers, for newcomers. Now, I think DJ Graham and Woody Washington are your starters at corner. But as we know, Alex Grinch likes to rotate. I think uh, Key Lawrence has been playing both the safety spots, but I I think he's going to lean more towards Pat Field's side. And I know we know that he's kind of leaning towards a starter and it's going to take some time. I, I don't foresee Pat Fields not being the starter game one, two, three, or four, or five. It, it's going to happen. It's going to happen middle of the year and on as if Key Lawrence was going to overtake that spot. But like I said, he likes to rotate. So I think those guys are going to end up making some plays. And I think they're going to make plays that can turn the tide in some ball games for Oklahoma that are pivotal plays for Oklahoma on the defensive side. So those are my guys as far as who I see being kind of surprise slash breakout guys, if you will. Um, finally, recruiting. Hey, I think Oklahoma is pretty hot on the 2023 class. I'm not sure, though. I would say so. Like, if we were going to look at stats – and somebody was to tell you that what 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 is a OU commits for 2023? What are they averaging here? Um, let's look, shall we? Oh, they're they're number one in the country, by the way, with four commits, and all four of the commits are in the top 55 players in the country. Holy crap! Right. And what if we were to tell you they're not done, but wait, there's more. And this week they could have some more good news potentially happening uh, with 2023 Durango, Colorado offensive lineman, Joshua Bates announced in between OU, USC and Oregon. Um, And then there's some buzz that some of the, the wide receiver position at in 2023 could be closing down pretty quickly. I think by the end of the football season, that's a wrap for that position. I really do. I think they're full by December, January at the latest. That's just my guess on the timeline right now from what I hear. And if I was going to predict, and this sounds crazy, guys, 
Call me crazy. I don't care. But I predict that they will have DeAndre Moore and Brandon Ennis in those class. And I would agree. Is that not crazy? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And at that point, and and you and I were talking about this earlier, Brandon, (laughs) at that point, Jalen Hale is a luxury. He's a luxury. The number two wide receiver in America in the 2023 cycle is a luxury. When you have Brandon Ennis, DeAndre Moore, and Makai Lemon all committed. Yeah, I think they close out with Ashton Cozart, actually, more than anybody else. And that kid loves OU. That's my guess right now. What do you say, Colin? Uh, Cozart is... Oklahoma's in a good standing, but so are a couple of other programs there. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's just... I'm just... Because Oklahoma wants to potentially take four there. I don't think they're sold on taking four. I think they're good with three, but I think it all depends. The four, if they take four wide receivers in 2023, that means they've only finished up with two commits in 2022. And that's, and that is uh, Relique Brown, who is a, also kind of a running back. He's a utility guy and Luther Burden, which still, that's a good class for receivers. Oklahoma would like to take another. They're kind of looking around for another wide receiver, but they're not sold on having to 100% because they feel so good about what they have on campus, what they have coming in 2023, and who they could get in the portal if they really needed to. Yeah. Obviously, guy like Cozart on the radar, Jalen Hale, if events transpire that we're talking about. And I, I think he, he's going to Hayes King and that's my, guess. that's my, that's what exactly I was going to say. Texas A&M becomes a very real threat. I'll mm-hmm. put it that way. And outside of that, I mean, look, you're, you're sitting pretty, especially because that Luke has guy can do a lot. So, you know, yeah. stress, about, you know, him playing receiver for you if you need him to. So funny about Luke has, uh, the week before he commits, uh, I'm up at Tulsa. Um, my son is going to do his quarterback training up there. And I wanted to get Dylan, a pro Dylan has his twin brother, a profile two, four, seven. So, uh, Luke hits me up and says, Hey, uh, we want to meet you. Uh, tell me where y'all are going to be. Your son's going to be training. We're going to come up there. I said, okay. So I told him Tulsa union, they come up there and we're talking and Gentry Williams hits me up and says, Hey, I saw you're in Tulsa. I'm going to come by. So he comes up to Tulsa union and says, hello. Uh, cause I guess he was on the, I don't know. He's on that side of town or whatever. Uh, and then, um, so we're talking and, and Luke goes, yeah, I'm kind of getting tired of this recruiting stuff. before he goes public and says, Hey, yeah, I'm going, I'm, I'm committing to Oklahoma. So, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that was, a a great get for Oklahoma. Um, he comes from great family. I mean, a really good family. Uh, his father, Darren is, uh, just a really, really, really good guy. Um, his, uh, his mom uh, is also just uh, salt of the earth. Stacy's so, so nice. 
Uh, and his brother, I think, is such an underrated player. I think his brother is so underrated. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Drake Stoops, to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm, it's not like the token, like, is this racist, you know, the white guy that plays slot type of deal, and you're just going to compare him because he's white. No, they play a lot alike. They got similar body, body frames coming out of high school, and the way they play in the slot is uh, very similar. Um, and so uh, and from people I talk to, Oklahoma is wide open in arms, like come be a preferred walk-on and get that scholarship because they think he's going to be a player too. So that's kind of a two-for-one for Oklahoma if you look at it in the grand scheme of things. I get two really good football players with Luke coming in, kind of what Oklahoma State did with Talon Shetron, uh, but – without putting Dylan on scholarship to start, obviously. Uh, Arkansas is thinking about offering Dylan right now, from what I'm told. And if that was the case, he would go to Arkansas. And I asked Luke, what would you do if that happens? He said, my brother needs to, you know, if that came, he goes, I'd be happy for him. He needs to do things on his own a little bit. He can get out there and be successful. You know, we both can be successful at different places. He goes, I'm an Oklahoma kid. I think my my talent fits best in Lincoln Riley's offense. And that's where I'm going to go. And I don't see any other way. He goes, I just do not like the recruiting process. So I think that's, that's kind of, I, I, that's going to be endearing to OU fans. The fact that he's done, like he's just, I'm done. I don't like it. I don't want to take calls. I want to just go play football and hang out with my friends and enjoy high school until it's done. And that's kind of where he's at. Um, I do think his brother is going to end up with offers after their junior year. I really do. I think Dylan can, I think that kid can play. I really do. Um, and then obviously, man, I'm going to puberty there with that voice crack, huh? Um, <laughs> so uh, the other, uh, Makai Lemon, I think that is, I mean, come on, guys. He, he has he has some of the most fun film you'll watch. I know, right? Like it's just insane. It, like, how would it, you like? To, how would you like to be Malachi and be like, "Hey, man, I just got uh, I just committed to OU. I got my Los Alamitos five star wide receiver coming with me. Oh, and by the way, DeAndre Moore is going to move back to Los Alamitos. That's where he started from. Went to Vegas. Now he's moving back to catch passes from his buddy during their junior and senior year. Hmm. I wonder where he's going to go to school in college. <laughs> this is my thing. Like I, I Brandon Ennis, I've seen a couple of times in person God, and he's so good talking to him and watching him. Like I'm a huge Brandon Ennis fan. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hale, obviously I, I, you know, I was boosting Jalen Hale before he had a lot of these offers because again, he like Parker mentioned, he's a top two wide receiver in the nation for a reason. The list goes on and on, right? DeAndre Moore, Luke has, but Makai Lemon, man, like this is a dude that Oklahoma fans have to understand. He could step onto either side of the field for OU and yep. potentially start. He's a dog. And I I, I don't want to take anything away from like Malachi Nelson because I think, again, he is one of the best quarterbacks, obviously, in that class. But regardless of classification, Makai Lemon makes a, that good of a quarterback look even better. I'll put it that way. I'm really high on this dude. I think he's one hell of a football talent. I love the fact that he will do whatever you ask of him. But at the same time, I mean, Makai for the the deep wide receiver group that is 2023, 
he's someone who you should not overlook. And I know in this region specifically, he can be forgotten about sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I've talked about this with a number of different people in various circles. When you turn on Makai Lemon's tape, it's hard to find another reel that's as good as his. I mean, he is a stud. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you this. With all the momentum Oklahoma has on the offensive side of the ball in 2023, they're going to land some dudes on defensive side of the ball. There's some five stars that I'm going to talk about on OU Insider that have been calling Oklahoma, asking about timelines and other things like, hey, you know, when y'all, when are these guys doing this and that and this and that and how we get a part of this type of stuff and how can I get in there and visit this and that? I mean, it is – Malachi's got that thing cooking in that class. It is so similar to what I think we all thought would have happened in 2021. Now, granted, that 2021 class was fantastic when you look at average per commit. I mean, it was top 100 average per commit, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem you run into is COVID and that ruined the visits. And this is what you kind of probably would, would have seen with 2021 had there not been COVID with Caleb Williams at the helm leading these guys. I think it would have been a special class. It got to that point when them, you know, showing up for the Sooner Summit and doing all that. They got some momentum, got some commits off that but it never really finalized because once it got away from the Sooner Summit and all that buzz, it slowed down and everybody else was able to creep up and and make some moves. So um, I think this is what you're starting to see as far as 2023. And I think both Caleb and Malachi talking to the 2022 kids is going to help Oklahoma in 2022 when it comes to the Javante Barnes is I'm not saying Oklahoma's going to land Javante Barnes, but my God, they're in a great spot. They're in a very, and you want to know what, you know what, let me take a step back and let me let the guy that talked to him today. Tell me, let, let, let's let Parker chime in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty confident in that crystal ball. Okay. Now okay. granted, granted a lot can change, but and I'm trying not to get too ahead of myself here, but when you hear a kid say, Oklahoma is going to be my last visit, like that is the last campus visit I'm taking. I'm going to make sure that's the last one. And that screams on campus commitment, folks. That is what that screams to me. And granted, Barnes has Alabama in play, right? And we know how Alabama has kind of made it a point to steal a running back from under Oklahoma's nose in recent mm-hmm. years in yeah. every single cycle. And so <laughs> I'm certainly not discounting that possibility. However, when you think about his ostensible top four, USC, Alabama, Oklahoma, Florida state, look, Javante Barnes is a very open kid. He will tell you anything you want to know about what he's thinking, about what he's looking for, what he likes about a particular situation and what he feels is his best fit at the next level. And every single time we get on the phone, Javante Barnes will tell me, he'll reemphasize to me, listen, I want to be a part of a two-back system. I Mm -hmm. want that. And Oklahoma does that as well as anybody. 
And he said, look, Oklahoma's plan right now is to play Rayleigh Brown pretty heavily out of the slot and to have me and Gavin Sawchuk be the dudes out of the backfield. And he, that's a very intriguing possibility to him operating Mm -hmm. alongside Gavin Sawchuk because especially with Oklahoma's track record of successfully deploying a tandem backfield, they've, well, yeah, Oklahoma has been doing the tandem beautifully for 20 years, Mm -hmm. for two decades. They have had that system locked down every single year with two guys, sometimes three that balance each other's skill sets very well. And that both can have a ceiling that's upwards of a thousand scrimmage yards if they play their cards correctly. And it just seems like in every single situation, they know their guys' strengths. They know how can, how they can deploy each of them in a given package or a given formation. And they use that two running back system to their distinct advantage. And they've been able to build a name for themselves in terms of that committee approach. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a guy like Javante Barnes, who's a bit of a black sheep in that he really doesn't want to be the guy he wants to be part of a one, two punch. You have to figure just based on logic that Oklahoma is going to be right near the top for a guy like that. But you also have to factor in the DeMarco Murray factor here. The fact yeah. that the Murray hails from the Vegas area. You've got that connection. Barnes is a former teammate of Deandre Moore. He's a former teammate of current Oklahoma commit Jake Taylor and mm-hmm. OU is building some very, very significant inroads in that Las Vegas area. They're recruiting that area well, and will continue to do so. And then you've got the promise of Malachi Nelson and a potentially legendary 2023 class coming in right on your heels. So I don't get the sense that Barnes is in any hurry to commit. Uh, as I mentioned, shoot, by the time this podcast when is released, he visiting? He probably when is he, visiting? he hasn't set a date yet because like okay. I said, he's going to make that his last visit. Whatever other ones he schedules, he will schedule the Oklahoma visit for after all of those ones. And he should so only he have will. two left. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be Florida State yeah, is what he Flo- told me. Well, he already visited so, Florida State officially, I thought. I don't believe so. He said no, Florida State. Per- okay, could be wrong. Yeah, Florida State is definitely on the calendar for him. Uh, and then Oklahoma as well. Those are the two surefire ones that he'll be taking. But yeah, I I love Oklahoma's chances. And I'm kind of having to I'm kind of having to fight my own urge to wonder if it's too good to be true. Because when you think about DeMarco Murray cleaning house with three of the top running backs in the nation, three top 150 guys in the same class. That's incredible for a second year running back running backs coach who had one previous year of collegiate coaching experience to come in to the university of Oklahoma, his alma mater and make that much of a tangible difference right off the bat on the recruiting trail and reel in what would undoubtedly be the most impressive single class of running back signees in program history. If he can mm-hmm. land Javante Barnes, Oh boy, this Oklahoma backfield is set for years to come. And they're going to be very talented, very versatile and borderline unstoppable behind what will undoubtedly be a crackerjack offensive line that Bill Beedenbow orchestrates. So September 5th is Florida state. 
is what it says right here. So there you go. That's, so I would assume this is me assuming, and we know what that means that the way things are playing out, if you're going to, if Oklahoma's smart with this, they have him come in for Western Carolina because that's where Malachi is going to be. That's where DeAndre Moore is going to be. That's where Makai Lemon is going to be. That's where Brandon Ennis is going to be. That's where all those guys are going to be. Gabe Dindy, Kenyatta Jackson. I mean, that visit weekend is something absurd for a pay-per-view weekend, no less. But it's the first time Oklahoma's getting to play in front of a packed house in two years because of COVID. So that that's big, man. If that, that that I know it's like right on the heels of Florida State, but and if that's all he has is two visits left, and Oklahoma's a final one, and Florida State's doing fifth, uh, you would think September 11th would be the last one, right? Yeah, I mean, if they can, uh, I if mean, Oklahoma can get him on campus, that's it. Because I mean, he told me definitively that. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's to me, it's just one of those deals where that kid is. I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm more on the the grounds that Oklahoma with Javante Barnes. <laughs> with Kevin Sawchuk. And then you throw Relique Brown in there as kind of your do-it-all guy. That's scary. And and then you got Jamari Miller who took a visit. You know, I mean, we haven't really touched on that, Colin. Can you dive and into Trey that Bradford bit? sitting there with four years eligibility. Yeah, no, it's crazy, dude. Can you touch on J- Jamari in a little bit? Yeah, so so Jamarian is obviously Jamarian. a running back currently committed to Texas out of Tyler Legacy. Really good program on the east side of the state. Jamarian is a guy who really liked Oklahoma as a program, but things shook out to where his recruitment kind of became wide open, and he has a lot of ties to the University of Texas. Eventually, the Longhorns capitalized on those ties and worked their way back in and added a guy who I think is another kind of do-it-all type of dude to a class that features Jaden Blue. And so Jamarian being able to be on campus – finally being able to see some things because that's a guy who for as much as he likes Oklahoma, as much as he likes some of the things that this program has going on, he's never even really watched them play. This isn't even a kid that honestly watches a ton of college football to begin with him being able to finally see Oklahoma in person, get some things digested and really evaluate the program as a whole with his own two eyes. I think it's a big deal because obviously Oklahoma is going to weigh heavily on his mind. I'm not really going to see him waver anytime soon. I think that Texas is in a really good position with him. But Oklahoma getting him on campus is a big deal, man. Uh, Again, Mm -hmm. that's a guy who I thought Oklahoma was in a very favorable position with up until some things changed shortly after the Under Armour camp in the Dallas area. And so that's just a name to kind of keep in mind, even though we're talking about Oklahoma bringing in a pretty legendary hall at that position. Just a really a really playmaking type name who at this point is yet another option for Oklahoma in 2022 potentially. Yeah, so flipping to the other side of the ball, and I, to, to, I guess to close out on Jamarian Miller, um, you know, we knew about the visit and then, the, you know, it got out that there was a secret visitor on campus. We kept our word and we didn't say anything until, you know, they left. 
But um, look, I, I don't know. I mean, that one seems like he's liked Oklahoma, like you said, for a while, even before the commit to Texas. I I think it's going to get to the point and it's going to be interesting with him because is he going to, is uh, not he, is Oklahoma going to wait on Javante if he takes too long or are they going to push for Jamarian to go ahead and come up there and take an official and see if they can't flip him? Because they're obviously keeping Jamarian warm. You know, oh, yeah. I, 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 know, I don't know where it goes from here. I don't think anybody but Jamarian really knows where it goes from here. So I think that's yet to be seen. So that's something we'll we'll watch as the fall moves along, obviously. Uh, but defensively, the, the the interesting thing for Oklahoma right now is obviously the Gabe Dindy and the Kenyatta Jackson talk. And and you know, I gotta throw Marvin Jones Jr. in there as well. I think if Oklahoma was to land a Brandon Ennis at some point during the season, and that is prior to Marvin Jones taking his official visit for the West Virginia game, I think that could play massively for OU. As a matter of fact, a source told me, look, it's going to take some work for him but him and his mom are so open to OU. It's not even funny. Like everybody assumes that Florida state's it because of his dad. When you talk to people around American heritage plantation, that's not the case. Like that kid is, it's almost like he's trying to find every reason not to go to Florida state. He's been there a thousand times. He's taken unofficial visits there like three times during the summer or spring between the spring and the summer. And yet he hasn't found a reason to commit yet. That's just weird to me. You know, that's just, those are the type of things that you have to kind of think about when you're following the recruiting process. Like, why is he doing that? Like, why isn't he committing? Why is he going to take an official to Oklahoma? Jamar Kane has done a fantastic job with him. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, But Oklahoma has a shot there. Like that's, it's a realistic shot. It's not like just some shot in the dark kind of shot like it's real and then jamar kane doing ridiculous things on the recruiting trail you don't say i know right and then you have kenyatta jackson talk to some people look by the time this podcast gets out there it's already going to be on our board so i'm just going to say it i'm leaning towards ohio state a little bit but that's not and it's it look it's because the people i talk to but the same people threw a caveat out there and they said, but that's also the last visit he took. So Oklahoma is the last visit he's going to take. His dad specifically told me they're not taking another visit after OU. They're done and they're going to commit right after. So what does that tell me? They're pretty open to the idea of Oklahoma. So we'll see. If I was a betting man right now, before the visit to OU, I'm kind of leaning towards Ohio State a little bit just because, you know, his dad told me it's kind of an Ohio State deal. And it wasn't It wasn't kind of – it was one of those – he said it's so close that it's hard for him to say one way or the other. That's exact words. It's so close. 
it's hard for me to say one way or the other, but I guess if I'm guessing, I would say Ohio State just because we visited there last. He said, but with it being that close and we're us committing right after Oklahoma, he said he could totally see him going to OU. So, again, it seems like it's 50-50, but his dad, Kenyatta Jackson Sr., isn't one to, you know, make things up. If he says he feels Ohio State's the leader by a little bit, probably is a leader by a little bit, but not enough to really make a difference at this point, I guess is what I'm saying. And with Gabe Dindy, you know, you keep going back to this. When we're talking about the five-star defense alignment out of Lakeland, Florida, parents are alumni of OU, grew up in Oklahoma. People keep saying, well, Texas A&M, this, Texas A&M. Yeah, Texas A&M's up there. It's OU versus Texas A&M. No doubt about it. And they're going to try to get back to an A&M game. He keeps saying try. They're going to try. They haven't set up an official visit to Alabama. That was the original plan. That's still not out. Like they're, they're trying to set up a visit. They're not sure if they're going to be able to put things work out. They're not sure they're going to be able to get back to A&M for a game. Things would have to work out perfectly for that to happen. My guess is they probably do end up working out perfectly. And that happens because they're going to be living there. But having said that, the parents seem to want him at Oklahoma. Okay. And it's not like they want him, like they're like telling him what to do. They obviously, they're alumni. They're from Oklahoma. The dad grew up in Ada or right next to Ada in Bing. And his, his mom grew up in Elk City. They're diehard OU fans. They want him in Norman. That's no secret, but they're going to allow Gabe to make his own decision. I would still pick Oklahoma, though. When push comes to shove, when that when it gets to be, you know, talk like that, you kind of lean to where the parents are the big, big fans of most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. This kind of feels like a lot of the Bryce Foster, does it not? Oh, it does. Yeah, getting those vibes. But the opposite way, like the flip. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. So this this kind of uh, this one seems like it may work out in Oklahoma's favor. We'll see, we'll see. He's going to visit September 11th, and he says that his dad told me that it's not going to be long after that they announce, like they're ready to get it over with too. So we'll see how it plays out. He was going to announce the Under Armour game. That's not happening. And they will be committed before the middle of October, from what I hear. We'll see, we'll see. Um, and it's going to be between. OU, A&M, and I would say Alabama's a player, but I'm not sure how much they are, like, from the, the talks that I get with the family. We'll see how that goes. Um, y'all have anything more? I mean, we basically covered the gambit here. I got nothing. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm still recovering from my COVID vaccine, so I'm also a little out of it. So, Are you tired? Uh, I'm getting sore. It's been about what going on eight hours now. So starting to feel the soreness a little bit. Uh, You'll start feeling a little more than sore here in a little bit. Do you feel like you're getting a temperature yet? No, I feel pretty good. Other than that, just soreness. Like I just hit 80 pitches in a baseball game or something. Mine hit like that. Like I felt the soreness and I was like all happy. The next day I was like, whoa, like I hit a brick wall. And let's hope it doesn't come to that point. 
I kind of hope you get sick, bud, because that means your immune system's working. You won't have to worry about it later on. You would rather get about that, but okay. Hey man, I'm, I'm looking out for you. I hope my, I ended up with 103 temperature for seven hours. And then when it broke, I felt great afterwards. Like it was just brand new, but I also waited seven hours before I took something to break my temperature. And cause I, like I told you earlier, the doctor told me last as long as you can without taking medication. Cause that'll allow your immune system to do the, do its job for the most part. It's still going to do its job, but without help. So uh, keep at it, man. If you can make it 20 hours, you're a dude. You're a dude. All right, man. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we throw each other up before we get off here. Uh, that's going to end it for this OU Insider podcast. Um, obviously, $1 for the first month. We have to do this into the podcast. I know everybody hates doing it, hates hearing this stuff, but. It is $1 for the first month right now. And we are going to be doing, I think it's like the middle of August. What was it the 16th and 17th? I believe it's 75% so. off, right? Yeah. Let me pull up the exact dates real quick. Yeah. I think it's 75% off on the 16th and 17th of August. So you could essentially get one year of OU Insider and get all the news that we've been hinting at. All the news, plus be able to go see Alabama, Texas A&M, Texas sites, all this stuff, all their VIP stuff for 26 bucks, 12 months for 26 bucks. Can't beat that. We hope you join and you get to ask us a bunch of questions on OU Insider, get all that information because of the, the board is growing. Colin, Parker, myself, Joey are on there all the time. Brian Bishop comes on there and drops his nuggets every now and then. Uh, that board's hopping uh, with video practice stuff, video interviews with coaches, write-ups, stories, VIP recruiting, VIP team notes. I'm going to have more team notes uh, here in the next few days, practice things we're hearing from sources. It's all on OU Insider, plus you get all the other 250, 247 sites. I mean, you can't beat that deal. $26. What date is it? Come on, bring it to us. So if you are hesitant to do any of this, circle the 16th because that will be a free day across. Yes, check us out. So not only will you be able to read all OU Insider VIP content, you'll be able to, for that day alone, surf the entire 24-7 Sports Network free of charge. If you're down after that day, the 17th and 18th, and those two days alone will be 75% off an annual VIP subscription. Yep, which is $26. It's usually around 107 So, I mean, you really can't beat that, folks. Like, it, it, it's a big deal. Uh, we hope you guys come and join us. Uh, there's, I want to say, we, we've quadrupled in size in the last three years. And when I got there, there was a couple thousand. So we're doing pretty good. Uh, it's, it's a big site. It's busy. Uh, last month we had over 10 million sub or not subs. That'd be awesome. Right. We rich 10 million page views. Um, uh, we had 10 is, million subs. I'd never need to work again. I know. Right. <laughs> 10 million page views. I mean, it, 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 it's rolling on OU insider because we have notes, stories, everything coming all the time, video, 
uh, practices, video of interviews, all that stuff. Like I said, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. If you're into that, we've got you covered. OU Insider, basketball, football, baseball, softball, gymnastics, uh, women's basketball. We cover it all on OUinsider.com. Hope you all come and see us. If not, try us out one month, $1 for the first month, $9.95 afterwards. All right, that's going to do it. For Colin Kennedy, Parker Thune, my name is Brandon Drum. Y'all have a blessed day. Thank you all for listening to the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners Podcast. We're out.